0: Welcome back to the Act 2 Podcast, a podcast for the real-life working screenwriter. I'm Tasha Hugh.
1: And I am Josh Hallman.
0: And please remember to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out on our awesome interviews coming up with showrunners and managers and agents and producers. We're doing all the things. Also, give us a rating, write a comment if you're feeling particularly generous. Those things help us out and help us get seen by other writers. You can also DM us if you want with questions, topic suggestions, or just tell us like the craziest shit your producer told you today. And Ooh. those are always fun.
1: Yeah, we can do a fireside chat. Those are my yeah. favorite episodes.
0: Me too. I know I miss those. You can send all of that to act2writers at gmail.com, all spelled out, or on our Instagram and Twitter at act2writers. I'm there too at StoryThursday on Instagram and at Tasha3.0 on Twitter.
1: And I am Joshua Hallman on Twitter, Josh Hallman on Instagram. I feel like we have a lot to talk about today. and one, okay. part, But like my – actually, I'm, I'm going to jump into my This Week in Writing because it actually is therapy-ish. okay, ish. <laughs> Okay, so my This Week in Writing, Tasha, I was working on this scene and this scene involved this couple. They're working through this relationship and I couldn't seem to nail this moment. And they're supposed to, basically they have this shared past and and, and they're like lovers that just can't seem to work it out. And they have all these problems and hangups, but they're meant for each other. And I was trying to write the scene and I just couldn't get it over and over and over. So I'm sitting at my kitchen table which I never do, but I was sitting at my kitchen table. And I was, like, trying to write this scene, and Nicole, my wife, comes rolling in, and she's like, hey, Josh? And, and I'm, like, kind of typing, and I'm, and I'm like, uh-huh? And she proceeds to start talking to me about, like, the most important shit that someone could talk <laughs> about. It wasn't, like, bad. It was, it was just kind of, like, heavy, where I needed yeah. my brain. Like, mortgage, life. <laughs> yeah. But being the great husband that I am and person, I just listened. And then um, she kept talking. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, I was like, Nicole, <laughs> I, I sound like such an asshole saying this, but I, I was in a spot. You know, I was in, I was, it has nothing to do with her. It's everything to do with me, obviously. Mm-hmm. And I was like, please. I'm writing here and she was like oh okay we'll talk about it later i'm like all right bye but oh that's I- a really
0: sweet response <laughs> <laughs> <Poor Nicole. laughs>
1: and um and so she leaves and i was so like flustered from this interaction we had i used that energy and my kind of like uh emotions that i felt in the moment and i put it into the scene and it worked like i <laughs> I figured it out. I don't I don't know how. Like I was there. I was like this this like frustrated guy writing about this like relationship. I, like obviously it wasn't a parallel to my relationship. It was just kind of like a parallel to the emotions in the scene and to yeah. me at the time. That's my this week in writing number one.
0: <laughs> Nicole's pain is your gain.
1: I feel so bad for her sometimes.
0: I do too. I was thinking the same thing today. I was uh can I? Do I guess it'll just flow right into my <laughs> this <weekend> writing. <laughs> but this morning, I was like trying to write a scene and realized I couldn't really figure it out, and <laughs> I needed to. And then
1: Nicole called you. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> Nicole, you know what? <laughs> I can't right now. <laughs>
1: oh,
0: sorry. <laughs> no, I decided to watch a, a movie to sort of, that was kind of a comp in some ways, and I start watching this movie. I'm a little frustrated because I can't get it for free even though I should be able to and I finally get it and then the whole time you know it's the morning so like Paul's getting ready for work and he's talking to me from the kitchen and then the movie starts and I'm just like I went into a zone like if I was mm-hmm. just watching a movie I wouldn't be in the zone but I was in the writer zone oh. the zone that you were in mm-hmm. and you know his like oh who's that which character is that and I, I'm like oh I was I finally tried. I was like oh my god Paul please <laughs> please just not right now <laughs> He's like, okay, love you, bye. Oh
1: <laughs> man. You're a monster. Man, the
0: writing zone is yeah, it turns you into this hideous beast.
1: <laughs> it is. It's the writing zone because you're frustrated at yourself. You're 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 frustrated that you have to buy the movie. You're frustrated <laughs> probably like $3.99. <laughs> but like it's it's so much more than just like The scene. It's you. It's like, why can't I figure this out already? What's going on? What is this? Is this even the right scene? Am I doing something wrong? This shouldn't be so hard.
0: And then like you – it's almost like you step through a dimension door and you're in a whole other world wherein like you just – you're hyper-focused on everything except what's really in your world. Uh-huh. So when someone is like trying to pull you back through the dimension door, you're just like, no, leave me alone. I'm <laughs> like trying to be in my space. <laughs> uh, I that like lesson. that. The,
1: the dimension door.
0: The dimension door.
1: That, is that my next script? <laughs> <laughs> I have another This Week in Writing. Yeah. So move over. I'm like that guy who's pushing people out of the way. and just like, <laughs> let me talk. <laughs> I've got the energy. I'm coming in. Okay, Tasha. So we discuss uh, implementing notes pretty often on this podcast. It's it's a it's a big topic of how we address notes and how we uh, convert from <laughs> notes to the script. And I mm-hmm. recently received a new series of notes from a producer. And the producer wrote everything out. He's amazing, and he gave his example, like you know, his reasoning behind each note to why it's there. But it was just so much that I act—I didn't know how to tackle it, and I was just staring at this for like two days. And I'm like staring at this document, like, "What the fuck am I going to do?" M- meanwhile, I've worked on this script for so long that it, it's like every time I kind of dive back into it, it kind of hurts my brain. So mm-hmm. what I ended up doing was. I started to label like these four different categories. Like what is a big note that like I I need to really think about? What's a medium-sized note that I could probably figure out in a reasonable amount of time? And what is this? Oh, just three categories. What is the small note? Mm-hmm. And that's like, boom, I can fix this. I can clean this up. I can do this, this, and this. It actually was really, really helpful because it kind of gave me my map of like how to tackle my notes into my script because when you're as far as I am in this thing which is really fucking far it's like you don't even know where to begin because yeah you know so anyway that was kind of how I uh and then I took his notes document and I actually labeled each one like small note medium note large note
0: I love that and then you just tackled whatever you could with your brain space that day. Like, I could only do small notes with where I am mentally today. So I'll do those.
1: Yeah. I actually haven't even, ta- this was like today. Oh. And then that's I pr- cool. Procrastinated. But along these lines, like one of the larger things uh, he had talked about was like the geography of this house that my movie takes place in. Mm-hmm. And I ended up uh, like printing out a blueprint of what my house is going to look like. Like, I found a comp online, I printed it out. So now I can like, it was it was hard for readers to track where my character is mm-hmm. in this confined space. So I'm here to ask you, Tasha, have you ever dealt with like a contained scenario where you you have to like let the reader kind of like follow where the character is and it, it try not to confuse anybody? Like, does that make sense? Like Die yeah. Hard, for instance. Like yeah. you can track Die Hard pretty easily. Mm-hmm. What? But why is it so fucking hard to like write this?
0: It's hard to figure out how I think like to do headings and spacing and stuff. Is is that what you're talking about? Like literally sort of that kind of stuff or just sort of stepping back bigger picture, hard to orient people in a certain room? No,
1: I mean orient people. Like, mm-hmm. oh, okay, they are in a living room to a dining room to mm-hmm. the bedroom. Like if someone's running around a house, it can get confusing for me. Like that's one of the big hangups. It's mm-hmm. like, where's the character?
0: Is it helpful to maybe like, a, just name them something very memorable. Um, instead of just like living room, it's mm. red room.
1: Red room. Um,
0: and then when you give it, when you introduce the space, give it like a really key detail right up front that's again super memorable and just like especially if your whole thing takes place in a house and i feel like i've seen this in scripts before where th- where they will take the time when they first go into that room to describe it with a with a big old paragraph or a medium sized paragraph that just sets you up in the space so that when we go back there we're like oh yeah that's this is the red room with that weird sofa on the side and like the stained glass window got it yeah but you don't have to say that every time i wonder yeah. is that, nope. do you do that already i haven't read your most recent drafts
1: uh Sort of, but I should be better at it. I think that's the the answer. I think I once, I, I saw something about Die Hard where um, I think this was done by the director, but there was like a um, a calendar. And I think it was like a topless woman on the calendar that Bruce mm. Willis had passed two times. Mm-hmm. I think, I'm pretty sure this is what it was. And it was, mm-hmm. it was there to orient the viewers to be like, there's Bruce Willis, he's running past the calendar. That must mean he's on this level and this is where he is in the building.
0: Yeah yeah
1: I think that I mean, but that's
0: not your job at this stage. Your job is to just make sure the reader is keeping track, yeah I think that would help just like super orienting us, okay that's all yeah today i I mean the weird things you we have to look up as writers today I had to watch a whole video about how to replace a wagon wheel
1: mm like a like a red robin wagon what are those called those like red... a, like a
0: carriage like an like an old school
1: oh you know.
0: Pioneer Days Carriage. I know a lot about wheels and axles now.
1: Wow. If we ever were like end of the world, you know, it's like we go back to horse and carriage. It's like she's going to survive <laughs> because she knows how to change this. <laughs>
0: Tasha knows how to change a wheel. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Before we go into the big topic, mm-hmm. I want to talk to you about a movie we both recently watched. Yes. Ghostbusters.
0: Ghostbusters. Afterlife. Afterlife.
1: Afterlife
0: yeah it was fantastic i cried i laughed
1: did you cry twice or just once twice really what were the two times you cried
0: can i say is it spoilers it's, it's still, still in thea- spoil- some theaters oh no, it's
1: out of theaters i it's i watched it out i th-
0: saw it in a theater really yeah what is in orange county they're sort of they're behind on most things oh
1: my god it's 2021 in orange county right now <laughs> um okay well because look
0: i'm from orange county so i can say that i'm just putting that out there
1: and i'm not (laughs) but i i um i just wanted to know why you thought the movie worked because i've i've actually talked to people who didn't like the movie but i really liked it
0: what can i ask why could they articulate why
1: i don't i don't think they did no
0: a i think the tone was completely appropriate Versus, I I did not hate on the previous Ghostbusters, the all-ladies one, as much as most people did. I enjoyed it, but I've only seen it once. But that movie had a different kind of... they, They chose the goofiness from the original Ghostbusters and decided to lean into that. And this movie chose the earnestness of that movie and leaned into that. And that, to me, was the appropriate choice because... To me, Ghostbusters is like an earnest movie that has funny parts to it. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes it so great. And that's why we love so many 80s, 90s movies is because they, they manage that balance so well. Um, and this movie just did it. And they did it through following this girl who was not a wisecracker. She wasn't particular like that was sort of the joke and, and what made her funny. But she's also so kind and intelligent and interesting that you are on the ride, I think, because you are so closely attached to her point of view. Yeah. And that to me was a really great setup to help make it feel really grounded versus I think the previous one was felt more like an ensemble movie to me.
1: Yeah, and this one actually takes place in the Ghostbusters universe. Yes. Whereas the previous one oddly didn't, which I always found right. that to be a really weird choice. Yeah. Okay. I just wanted uh I just wanted your yeah,
0: I mean and like they, it was like it was all the great things you want like the pops of surprises when you first see the Ghostbuster symbol and the way it cuts out before you like completely see it is so yeah. great like the way they tease you because you they know that you came here because you loved the original movies is so so good and I mean they kept it in the family with Ivan Reitman directing yeah. it and I think that was really smart but yeah, and like, what was also cool is somehow when you got to the end, because everything else was so grounded, and they used to kind of use that old 80s look to the ghosts, mm-hmm. they just brought it right back all the way to like how the smoke looks and, and like the lightning. And that also made me feel good, <laughs> because it was so grounded to when I got to that point, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm buying in that this is just how the ghosts are. And um, it, it didn't feel silly, which I think it easily could have.
1: All right, I like yeah, it. I was in. We're gonna break down Ghostbusters Afterlife one day.
0: I would love that.
1: Okay, I actually do have one or two small beefs with the movie.
0: Oh, what are they? Can you bring them up?
1: Well, I don't want to spoil it now that we talked about it.
0: You want to spoil our breakdown?
1: <sighs> well, no. I, I just I felt like that it was a little bit of a service to fans at certain points. Like.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, but what's an example that you feel like did it too much?
1: Like the little marshmallow marshmallow men.
0: Oh, so cute!
1: But, yeah, no, that was—they're very cute, but it was also like very specific that the Stay Puft Marshmallow Men are coming back.
0: Yeah, that's like fair. that
1: was—it was random.
0: But I mean, they didn't do a great job at this. But I think the idea was supposed to be that as Zul is rising, mm-hmm, no, mm-hmm. Goza is rising, that other ghosts are coming to life in the world. Yeah, right. So. There's a weird guy who eats all the magnetic metal or electronic metal, and then there's the little marshmallow guys, and then there's, like, two other th- sightings. If they had, like, amped that up more and explained that more, maybe yeah. the marshmallow man wouldn't feel like a throw-in.
1: Remember when we started this and you didn't want to talk about it because it's still in theaters, and now <laughs> we, we just spoiled the entire movie?
0: <laughs> I can never trust myself. Yeah. <laughs>
1: And then this, up.
0: <laughs> um, Okay, so I have another thing. I guess it's a This Week in Writing mm-hmm. because it taught me things. But I watched uh, Robin Hood 2018, Taryn Edgerton, mm-hmm. um, whom we both are big fans of. And I loved it. Granted, I only watched the first half and, like, scrubbed through the second half because I was watching it for research. But the <laughs> setup in particular I thought was really, really great. Uh, you've seen it, right, Josh?
1: I have. Only I saw it in 2018 or whenever. Is that?
0: Oh, when it came out? Yeah. So if you remember the opener, I mean, it, fo- it focuses on Robin, which is fine. But I'm talking about when they go to war. And it's, like, a troop of archers, basically, like, light-armored Archers are going through this city in some Muslim town when they're hit upon by a sniper who has basically like an automatic crossbow, essentially. Yeah, yeah, And it completely feels like war. Like, he shot it, the director shot it like it was a war movie. And I think it really, really worked. Down to how Robin and the other archers in his unit were wearing... Like, it felt like camo. Like, it was sort of medieval armor but the way it was colored and the way it sat on their bodies it felt like camo and then the the like kind of heaviness of the bolts as they're hitting the columns that they're hiding behind and the way the men were shot all felt like bullets and the way that they would like string their bows and like walk upstairs and walk around rooms you can tell the direction was specifically like, act like this is a gun and that you're you know on special ops. And that really made something that could easily feel old fashioned and kind of dusty old medieval times made it feel like really relevant. And I felt really kind of drawn into the emotions of this war moment Mm -hmm. because of that. And I thought that that was just really good. And I loved it.
1: Yeah. Cool choice. It sounds like.
0: Because I think I write in genres that – A lot of people don't like, a lot of people don't really like fantasy, you know, like Game of Thrones was such a big hit because people who hated fantasy came to it, but that doesn't mean those people also went to go see Wheel of Time or also now suddenly love Lord of the Rings. Most people actually feel like don't like fantasy or they don't like Westerns. I love Westerns. So I'm constantly dealing with this issue of how do I make something that some people might be be turned off by because it feels sort of not real and yeah. lame. <laughs> um, how do you make that feel urgent and relevant? And so I just thought that was a fantastic example of that.
1: That's a great example. It's a good lesson too. It's like you have to think about, yeah, how to make everything feel relevant, updated, and different.
0: Yeah. All right. That's all I got to say. Now I we can it. go on to our main topic.
1: What What is our main topic today, Tasha?
0: So our topic today is tone, specifically yeah. setting the tone of your career of how you present yourself in meetings
1: yeah i feel like this is really important actually because we were kind of talking about this and i feel like younger writers and not not just younger but uh when you're when you start out we're kind of like conditioned to believe you know you enter a room there's an executive that executive has the power and you Mm are new to this room and you sit there and you just kind of like listen and you're cordial and you just want to make a really good impression. Mm-hmm. But over time, I, that kind of has to shift and you kind of, you have to like take control of those rooms and I think, yeah. at least I, I might. Yeah, I might, but it's, it's...
0: it's such a weird blend because it's like they're your employer, potential employer essentially, they're going to give you money to pay your rent. Mm-hmm. So therefore you, you put yourself in this natural position of, I want to please you and I want you to like me. But then the actual job that you get hired for is to be someone who is creatively in control and can steer the ship, which is not where you were when you came in. And so where you are when you come in has to reflect who you can be when you get the job. And all of those things have to really meld together in this kind of is it, this is why this job can be so hard, and why I think making this part of your career goals becomes important. And you and I have talked about how, when I was pitching and like my my year of hell pitching,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and when I realized when I got that note that. I didn't get a job, not because of my story, but because of the way I handled myself in the room as someone who seemed very nervous and couldn't handle big personalities on a real production. And I was like so floored by that. And I made it a goal of mine to stop that, basically to learn how to sound confident. And I had to practice it until I could do it. And now I'm like, oh, I think I need to learn this new skill now to like set the tone in a room so that I don't come in seeming like, there's a, the power shift lies with them. Yeah. And not that I'm like going to manhandle the meeting, but that I'm someone who has it all under control.
1: Yeah. I think that's the key is just creating that sense. Yes. That, that everything is under control. And as I was thinking about this, it's like, we're so used to, I think a lot of people in the creative space are, especially in Hollywood are like people pleasing, right? Like Mm -hmm. we come in and it's like, you face so much rejection that at some point you just want to hear people who like your stuff. Or read they, oh that was a great script you're yeah. like uh-huh uh-huh okay so we were thinking about this actor you're like I love that actor but in like the back of your head <laughs> you don't and and at some point you yeah you really have to make that conscious effort to to be like I've got a handle on this this is what my vision is and I, I'm like controlling this mm-hmm. because if you don't you kind of turn into like a pushover eventually-hmm does that make sense
0: it absolutely makes sense. I mean, there are degrees of it, which I think is an accurate statement. And this topic really came up because I was talking to a friend of mine and he was saying that one of his goals is to start going into general meetings and kind of taking control of the conversation more. So usually when you go into a general meeting, the exec, as you say, is usually like, hey, Josh, like I loved your script. It was great. Like, tell me about yourself. Yeah. Which means that they, because they're speaking first, set the tone for how the meeting is going to go. So if this guy's like low key or um, if the exec is like annoyed because of a meeting they just come off of or they are sort of dismissive and they don't really want to be in this whatever that is whatever the exec is bringing into the room they're setting the tone for how this is going to go and they set the power dynamic because they're talking first and so he was like i'm gonna try to be the one who talks first in these meetings where i'll come into a general and i'll say hey exec like heard so much about you like really excited to kind of hear what you're what you're up to at this business like how's your week been? Just like starting off the the conversation on yeah. the note that he really wanted it to be on so that, again, like the power shift was like, oh, because like the exec was probably like, oh, like this guy knows what he's talking about. Like, okay, yeah, I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm in.
1: <laughs> that power shift is so interesting. When I first started to take general meetings, I would sit down, let the person talk, and I'd just be like sitting there smiling and then I'd answer all the questions. And then like over time, I eventually I, I would – actively i would have to like think to myself all right i'm going to try to like turn this conversation a little bit where if i'm going into a room and someone starts listing off their credits and i already know the credits like i would try to get a jump on that because in mm-hmm. general meetings mm-hmm. usually whoever you're meeting with they'll tell you okay so this is what our company does we worked on the hangover and the hangover 2 and 3 mm-hmm. or whatever and everyone fucking knows that these are like monster movies and people just like listing them off so it's weird because doing this, it's almost like you have to do it in real time, right? Like you have to actually try to start making a conscious effort to to take control over the tone in a meeting. Like it's hard to do outside mm-hmm. of a meeting, right? Yeah. Although why this topic was so interesting to me is because I sort of experienced this in like real life where I was in a scenario, which I had told you about, which I won't get too deep in, where I was- get with deep. The- <laughs> no way. Not this one. <laughs> and uh, where I was with a guy who clearly, clearly was trying to assert his alpha dominance between mm-hmm. our dynamic. Like there wasn't even a th- no question about it. And once I realized it was happening, I like completely changed posture. Uh, the, the way I spoke, the things mm-hmm. I said, I was eating his food. I like I was like a fucking <laughs> madman. And um bringing this full circle. This this like controlling the tone of your career is like it also relates to real life, you yeah. know. Yeah.
0: It does. It does. And also I think related to this conversation is creating the tone for those individual meetings helps then create a tone for your career because you eventually want to be a showrunner. You want to be that A-list writer that people know they can depend on, that they invite to set on movies and aren't afraid to have you on set because they want your valued opinion. You want to just kind of be that force in the industry. And starting in general meetings is a great sort of mini goal to start with. And then, Part of that, I think what's built into it is something you and I were talking about this week, which is having difficult conversations with producers. And that's part of setting a tone for your career. You want, you have to eventually have difficult conversations if, say, you feel you're being mistreated somehow in a relationship. You need to be able to bring that up. If you feel like the producer is, for some reason, getting in the way of you doing your job well, you have to bring that up. And- I think, again, starting small by setting a tone in the generals will help you build the confidence to eventually start having those kinds of conversations. So when we talk about tone for your career, that's kind of what we mean. It's that whole bubble.
1: Yeah, I agree. And, and what you're saying <laughs> is also like not only sets kind of expectations of people around you, it, it's like makes you feel good too. And it makes you believe in yourself. Does that sound cheesy?
0: No, it feels terrible right now because I'm in it, in the middle of it, and it's really anxiety inducing.
1: Oh, really? Talk about Mm -hmm. it. (laughs) Specifically.
0: (laughs) Well, okay. So. Oh, you don't really have I'll talk about it. I'll talk about it. So, (laughs) I had to have a difficult conversation with someone recently just because I felt like the tone of what she was saying to me was. Like it was just upsetting me. Like every time we talked, basically. And I know she was trying to be helpful, but at the end of the day, like it was making it more difficult for me to write. Mm -hmm. And so I like talked to my friend. I was like, what do I say? How like how do I say it to to her? Like she's she like I know her really well. Like she might react bad. She might react fine. I don't know. And it was like, well. write it out like write out a script for what you want to say you're a writer that's your gift like lean into what your abilities are yeah. and i started talking to this person it was about other things it wasn't even about writing um and then it like just sort of, and you know josh like i have a tendency to just be like blah blah blah, blah. Uh-huh. <laughs>
1: just like
0: vomit <laughs> all over people uh, with, <laughs> with thoughts and i can i can be very awkward in my transitions to difficult topics too and i i was um and then this person was, like, totally fine. Like, they they listened to me and they heard me and understood me. And we had, conver- uh, like, a very adult conversation about it. And you're right. I did feel good at the end of it. Yeah. But leading up to it and during it, I was, like, just terrified. But that's the way it was when I was learning how to pitch better. Because you feel – I think the terror comes from feeling – like an imposter like you're wrong you're not doing the right thing you're the kid in a room of adults so why are you speaking out this way but when we see successful people that we admire do we think they take a back seat in these rooms absolutely not people look to them as leaders so yeah also this is taking a, a slight right turn but when we talk about agents something we always talk about is. Um, you know, meeting with your agents at the beginning of the year or every quarter, or every half year to have a meeting that sets the stage for what you want in your career, right? Like, and that to me is part of this conversation of coming in with the right tone and setting the tone for yeah. your career because again, a lot of writers will take a back seat in generals. they'll take a back seat with producers, and they'll take a back seat with their reps and just let them guide their careers. instead, why don't you flip that script a little bit? and start acting like the person who is paying them because that is what you are doing <laughs> whenever you get a job you are paying them 10%. So I think if you can kind of really embody that idea it's not you know throwing your ego around but it's still working as a team but just taking a, another step up from where you probably feel like you actually are.
1: Yeah, and that's why I I completely agree and that's why this is so important is because it's at every phase of your career and you know, we're obviously still working at it and, it. and like, I feel like everyone's probably still working at it, but it's just so important to always set that because I, I used to, when I would talk about scripts that I didn't, like I wasn't confident about, I would clearly come off as a person who wasn't confident in the script. Mm-hmm. Like, ah, oh, yeah. Okay. What, yeah. What, it's it's whatever. But now when I talk to people who like, aren't my friends, even if I know a script isn't where it should be, I'll like double down on it just because I think <laughs> in my head, I'm like this, ha- I have to create the good present, I have to present this in a certain way so people don't already come in with a certain expectation that like, all right, this script is going to suck. Do
0: you mm-hmm. know what I mean? I do. I'm really bad at that too because my thinking goes like, what if I tell them it's really great and they read it and it's not really great? Do they then think I have really bad taste and they don't trust mm-hmm. me? Yeah. Like I get in my head about that kind of stuff.
1: I re- recently was uh, working or talking with a producer and I kept saying how great something was going to be. I'd be like, trust trust me, this is going to be great. It's going to be great. And he stopped me once and was like, listen, man, you're starting to sound like Donald Trump. And I was like,
0: oh, my God,
1: what do you mean? And he was like, (laughs) like, I get it. It's going to be great or something like that. And he said it jokingly, but it clearly stuck with me.
0: (laughs) Sounds dramatic.
1: (laughs) Yeah. It was great, though. (laughs)
0: Oh, man. Okay. So thinking about setting tones in meetings, what do you think are good ways to do that?
1: Well, I think like what you had referenced earlier with the conversation with a friend, I think is like coming in and it's a little thing, but it's a big thing. And that is like almost introducing yourself first and then almost trying to kickstart a conversation in the least awkward way possible. Uh, Because it's easy Mm -hmm. to walk in and be like, hey, man, uh, Nice, uh, nice outfit today, and you're like, "Whoa!" <laughs>
0: <laughs> Please don't talk about their outfit.
1: <laughs> no, no, no. But I, I feel like it's if you can, it's like walking in. I mean, this whatever this example is, it's like, hey, uh, Tasha, I'm, I'm actually really excited to be here today because I'm so familiar with your work, and I'm a really big fan of X, Y, and Z, and so I'm just really excited to sit down and talk to you about this stuff.
0: Yeah. You know what that like the the clothing comment actually reminds me I met with LeBron James's company. And in the background of one of the execs, she just had like a wall of shoes like from floor to ceiling, just basketball shoes. And it stuck – it was, like, so visual that yeah. I – like, before they even introduced themselves, I just, like, commented on the wall of shoes. And that spiraled into, oh, like, the reason why we have these shoes is because of LeBron's charity. And then we just started talking about the charity. And then that set the tone for the meeting because now, like, we were all super chummy because we weren't talking about work. Hang on. And that, on. to me, is what I love.
1: I fucking <laughs> feel offended right now. Let me <laughs> let me just – let me rewind here. <laughs> you know <laughs> – how much i love shoes all right <laughs> shoes are always something you can compliment people on that's that uh, i i know i said clothes shoes are an accessory that's you, true like, shoes
0: are an exception
1: if 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 you have nice shoes on if someone's wearing some you know jordan 4s that are limited edition and you see them if you don't comment on them, there's a problem. I'm just saying. And so, if I were to have walked into LeBron James's office and I saw a wall of shoes, one thousand percent would be the first thing I'd say. Yes.
0: I guess what I'm saying is, don't Feel be it. afraid to do that.
1: All right, I can't. I, I, I want a redo of what I said. When the clothing, I'm not like like you don't walk in. and You're like,
0: that's a nice skirt.
1: <laughs> nice. Wow, that's an incredible low cut shirt you're wearing. Today. Yeah. Anyway. All right. So how would you control a meeting, Tasha? Is that is that about right? You walk in
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um I think something I do that I've never thought of as like controlling the meeting, but I think does this as an effect is get the exec talking about themselves because the way they set the tone. Whether they mean to or not, is they get in a habit. They get in their rhythm because they've had a million of these generals. They're just okay. So like, this is what we do. We do this kind of movie. Our you know, our mandate is that we want a four quadrant, and like they just start doing their speech, right? And it's boring. It bores them. It bores us. So instead, what I'll do when they give us the mandate, be like, oh, like what kind of movies? do you love or like what kind of movies are you working on right now? And then because they're movies they're working on right now, like they'll get excited and they'll talk about them. And it's just trying to break people out of it so that the tone you're setting is let's just be friends and talk like real people. That to me is the tone I want to set. I don't want to set like a power move tone. I just want to set a tone of like, we're cool. We're chill. Let's work on something and have fun because we're riding movies and TV together.
1: (laughs) that's perfect that's
0: the tasha tone no that's That's <laughs> no no, everyone's tone <laughs> no 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 that's i mean that's
1: a really great tone it's it's i don't know this is a complicated topic you just Man, have to you be got aware like of a it. thousand
0: yard stare there for a second
1: yeah no, no no i'm just thinking about it's it's just you just always have to be aware of like presenting yourself to certain yeah. people
0: do you feel like like you, when you mentioned that other guy who was trying to like assert his alpha dominance, mm-hmm. do you feel like in generals with other men that that is a thing that comes up ever?
1: Um, I have been in that scenario for sure. Um, the, the one that I was referencing was – it was a little different because it was outdoors. Like
0: like a social like thing. out
1: of an office. Mm-hmm. And, but having said that, I've been around men. I've, I've been around women too outside of mm-hmm. – uh, Th- their offices where they come in real hot. Like, mm-hmm. this is what I do. I know this. Like, it's it creates that, that adult-kid relationship. Yeah. Agents are really great at doing that, by the way.
0: Yeah. Shoot. You know, as you're saying that and, like, acting it out, like, I got very anxious because I do not do well with that kind of alpha personality for men or women.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: I don't think I am yet prepared to assert dominance in rooms with those people because i just personally don't like them and Mm -hmm. so i don't really have interest in setting a tone with them i just want to be out of the room (laughs) so that's so i mean eventually the i remember a friend of mine who we started at the wga at the same time but her career kind of like skyrocketed quickly and she was in really like heavy duty rooms with some of the biggest producers in the business very early in our careers. And she would tell me the horror stories about being in the rooms with them, just like how incredibly rude they were. And I was like, I was just like, oh man, that's so cool. Like, you live in the tree. Like, that's great. She's like, yeah, but with, with, it was kind of like the Spider-Man quote, you know, like with great power comes great responsibility. Yeah. She kind of felt this feeling like it's not all it's cracked up to be because now you're thrown into these rooms that are very unpleasant to be in. So I, I'm not prepared for those kinds of people.
1: You better get ready. I don't like it. That's great.
0: Maybe I'll just never work. Can I just avoid them altogether?
1: Yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, the last thing I'll say about this is I kind of have like – I have a weird reaction to certain people. And you know this because I'll tell you stories about tennis where I'll encounter a person mm-hmm. in the industry who plays tennis. And my mind immediately goes to, oh, I'm going to beat this guy like i i i'm gonna play this i'm gonna challenge this guy i'm gonna fucking destroy him because this is one place i can do it like i know that i can do this yeah it's so unhealthy you do
0: have a very unique position of in some ways taking meetings on the tennis court i know it's not that's not how it's built, but you yeah you play tennis with so many people in this industry do you ever pull back as part like as part of the tone setting
1: i've taken dives before yeah (laughs) Yeah, that's so true. <laughs> yeah, or I step it up as much as I can. Oh, man.
0: I feel like that's... Can is that can you do that as a TV show? Just distill that. It's like the tone of Succession or like White Lotus at a country club starring Josh Holman.
1: Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, I, <laughs> I've got a lot of stories <laughs> at, a, at a country club.
0: <laughs> All right, so I have something... That I want to finish this off with, if Please. that's okay. Yeah. So we, this last month in um, January, we, for Act 2, did a script club for Nobody by Derek Kolstad. We read the script, and then we all talked about it, and it was great, and everyone had fantastic things to say, and um, I just wanted to kind of talk about that on the podcast. Yeah. Because I feel like something we can really start to do is is do script clubs on on the podcast because I just feel like I learned so much from them that everyone can learn so much from yeah, them Yeah, no, no,
1: this is exciting. when you say script club, you mean, hey, we're gonna read nobody, and we're gonna talk about it on the podcast being released on this day. So it's yes. almost like everyone can follow along with it and be there.
0: Yes, exactly. We'll all just learn from each other, and we'll open up, you know, Twitter and and for that day and um, or for that week of the podcast, and just have open conversations about the writing of it and what we're learning from it and stuff. And I think yeah. that would be fun.
1: I'm in.
0: All right, so I'm gonna kind of break down like the four things that I really learned from reading Nobody by Derek Kolstad. Is that okay? Just like no, a it's... peek into yeah. what these could look like.
1: It was a great script club too. So yeah, let's do it.
0: Okay. I feel like people are going to think we're obsessed with Nobody because we've talked about it several times and they would be correct. Mm -hmm. Uh, Okay. So (laughs) something that Derek does so well is he doesn't really choreograph his action, which I think is fantastic. Um, And I think he may have done it a bit more in John Wick, which you can speak to because you read that script and I have not. But in Nobody, for example, at one point he just sums up what the fight is basically about like mm-hmm. character-wise like the character you know should like hutch is um fighting like he's discovering himself for the first time again and it's quick and it's brutal um but it's he's growing with intensity like he'll just kind of say that but not say like he throws a punch and then he does this and then he does that so he'll just kind of say that little description. And then maybe give, like, two cool moments. Like, the he does do the, like, hitting the guy in the windpipe. Mm-hmm. And then having to, like, cut it open and put the straw in. Because, of course, that's an important detail. So he'll give these, like, cool moments. But for the most part, it's, like, summary, one to two moments, literally. And then just let the choreographer do the rest. And let the reader just, like, imagine yeah. what it is. And there was one point in the third act fight, which I thought oh my god, I've never seen anything like this before, where he bolds and underlines and says, three things are going to happen in this fight. One, the overhead vent is going to keep falling down slowly over the set piece. Two, something else happens. Three, something else happens. But they're not action pieces. They're not like, you know, fighting choreography. It's just, that's it. And then he just goes on with the... The um, with telling the scene without having tell telling any of the action, which I thought was like holy shit. I was like, can we do that? Yeah, <laughs> that and it worked. I right? could yeah, it worked fantastic because especially at the end of the movie, you don't need to just have yet another action scene, yeah. right? Like you're you're ready to just get to the climax of the movie. So I thought that was great. Um, we also talked about how nobody opens with a cold open, and it opens with Hutch in. Like the interrogation seat at the police station, and he's bloody and super beaten up. And he pulls a little um like cat food out of his pocket mm-hmm. and opens that. And then he pulls out a little kitten. And then next to him is a blood-splattered like Monet or something painting. And it's a pretty like like a lot is going on in that image. And then he says, you know, the or the cop's are like, Who the hell are you? And he's like, I'm nobody, right? (laughs) And then that's like, okay, so that's the cold open. And then it flashes back to his everyday boring life. And we were talking at Script Club about how and why this is effective. And we brought up, for example, White Lotus, where I think it works very well as well, because in White Lotus, the cold open is there has been a murder. So that when we flash back to our characters, we're like leaning in because who was the murderer and who is the victim. And now everything that happens, I am super hyper aware of and engaged in because like, I want to play detective and, and get to the answer before they tell me. And so I'm really engaged and it works here. I think in nobody because the juxtaposition of who you see him as bloody beaten with the cat to who he is in his boring everyday life as a husband and like beat down worker are so different that you want to lean into this movie to understand how he gets from that boring guy to that cool guy who's just been beaten and the cops are super impressed by. Yeah. Um, Breaking Bad does another good job. And I think paying attention to, because a lot of people were like, well, can you just do a cold open to just cheat? Because that's something that one of the writers said, a producer has, has asked him about. Was like, let's just do, do a cold open because everyone's doing them and like they're really fun. It's like, yeah, but they're doing it only when it works and it works because the juxtaposition of him in the cold open versus who he is in that very next moment is so different. Yeah. And that's the story you're telling. So that to me was, was important. Just don't throw a cold open there for the fun of it. Are you doing it for a purpose? And then the last thing is that he uses a lot of single dashes at the end of a action line as a paragraph break. So like, Kind of like where you imagine the camera would cut to a different angle. He'll yeah. use a, a, da- a like a single dash at the end of that line. And then new paragraph, single dash, new line. So that you're reading it like one to one. Da, da, da. You're like reading it to the next thing. And you f- it just feels really fast paced, which I thought was clever. And I started using in one of my scenes yesterday just to see if it would work. And, and- I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> You'll have to tell me when I send it to group.
1: <laughs> nice. I, man, I, I love the dashes. Oh boy, I love. I'm them.
0: usually a space double dash person, so this is a no space single dash, and it's kind of bugging me.
1: Oh, but can I say one thing on this? Yeah, I've actually recently converted to the no space double dash.
0: No space double dash, bold, very bold.
1: <laughs> no, no, you're gonna you're gonna love this in dialogue. Like I've 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 done that where it's like cutting, pe- like.
0: Is it because of this J.J. Abrams script you sent me?
1: It was. That J.J. Abrams script is called yeah. Mission Impossible 3.
0: I'm going to read script it was. <laughs>
1: yeah, okay. <laughs> no, no. His writing in that, and he's done this before. I've, I've seen this before. And I usually, I mean, this is, we can only talk about this on a screenwriting podcast because this sounds insane. But like, I usually will do a space, double dash, and then move on. Like, I have. Same. But I read some of J.J.'s stuff and there was no uh, space after his double dashes. And I was like, well, that's interesting. But it was only in dialogue in certain scenarios, Mm -hmm. like if characters are cutting each other off. And it really created a good pacing. Anyway, I got off off track from nobody.
0: No, that's not off track. I think that's great. Yeah. Steal, steal from all. That's why we do Script Club and see what the greats are doing. And
1: it's like that What like the Steve Jobs quote of like good artist copy, great artist steal. I love that. Yeah. Quote of the day. Quote of the day. <laughs> no, but sorry, was that all, was that, was there more than that? That was that it.
0: That was, the, that was my, that was my nobody thing.
1: God. Well, I that, that's such a good movie and script. Yeah, That could be is. a very bad movie in the wrong hands.
0: That is very true. It's so true. Ah, that's the, th- I mean, yeah, meh. Well, Another day we're gonna break it down, obviously, because yeah. we're obsessed with it. So yeah,
1: yeah. And the last thing I'll just say about it, if I may. Mm. Last thing mm. is like the 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 fact that this dude basically wrote a different version of John Wick
0: mm-hmm.
1: and it worked <laughs> yeah. is fucking crazy.
0: I know. I know Ugh. Derek, you mad genius.
1: Yeah, we'll come on the podcast, Derek. <laughs> <laughs> He's coming on.
0: We're, we'll get him. We'll get him. We'll get him. So if that was interesting to you and like script club seems like something you want to engage in with us we're going to do it every month and just kind of do that do like kind of a summary of what we learned from reading the script so the next one we're going to read for February is called Ending Things which Josh made me aware of this week which you can find a little blurb of it on Deadline. It stars Anthony Mackie, Priyanka Chopra, Chopra, Jonas. Um, Well, they are attached anyways. It's a script by Kevin Sullivan, and it is described as a true lies-esque action film. A hit woman who wants out of the assassin business tells her business partner that she's ending their personal relationship as well. But she comes to realize she doesn't want to end that part of their bond. In order to survive the breakup and their last job together, they must join forces for one last night out. So if that's interesting to you and you want to read that and talk about that with us, you can send us an email at act2writers at gmail.com. We can send you the script and keep coming back to this podcast and we will talk about it at the end of the month. Boom. All right. Should we do our quote of the day? Yes. Get out of here. All right. If you spend too much time thinking about a thing, you'll never get it done. Make at least one definite move daily towards your goal. Bruce Lee. Please remember to rate and subscribe. Follow us at Act Two Writers for more awesome writing stuff. You can follow me, Tasha, at Story Thursday on Instagram. Or on Twitter at Tasha
1: 3.0. I'm Joshua Holman on Twitter, Josh Holman on Instagram.
0: And as always, the Act Two podcast is a production of Act Two, a network and support group for the everyday working screenwriter. This episode was edited by Paul Lundquist, music by 414Bag, which you can find on Spotify. <music>